Welcome to Companions of the Perception Check, Episode 19, an overview of Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. I'm your host, Kevin, and tonight I am joined by... Seth Colgrove. And Zachary Ruffin. Evening, fellas. Good evening. Right, so, let's kick this out. The I know that Ravnica was one of the big... Uh, big magic worlds, and there was a lot of there. There was a lot of people clamoring to get one of the worlds out. I remember uh, soon after Fifth Edition was launched, there was an unofficial guide um, to one of the magic worlds. And I don't believe it was Ravnica. I think it was one of the other. They they did several of the other. They've actually done several, but. Ravnica was the one they set on. It was really interesting leading up to this because it they were doing a lot of uh, a lot of unearthed Arcana articles, but they really faked you out. Like the the new subclasses were buried in things that didn't seem to directly go to it, and then when they previewed the Minotaur and the Centaur, they skinned it as Greco-Roaming monsters. So when they announced Ravnica, I was completely surprised. Well, based on their based on their um, announcements, what were you thinking they were going to announce? Well, one, they used to have mythological setting campaign books in uh, third edition and earlier. Like, you would have one that would be very specifically how to make, you know, for example, a Greco-Roman setting. Mm -hmm. Or how to make an East Asian or Japanese setting. I thought they were going to do a mythology book. And I thought, I was expecting a couple of spores or something to come out in Xanathar's, not... Not in Ravnica. not, Not be an extension of... Like basically a Magic the Gathering tie-in. Although I must say I'm pleased because I used to play Magic when I could see better, and Rav and the Ravnica world was probably my favorite. I, I've I, I've played some Magic, but never never really got into the mythos of it. I believe in Magic. And if I could get the rights to it, I would get Do You Believe in Magic? Just to put yeah. right after you that comment. We could cover it quickly. To... <laughs> cover it. But then maybe the Azorius would descend on us. <laughs> That's the risk you run. Mm-hmm. Alright, um, well... I mean, I, all I all I've really gotten out of Ravnica is from from the source book, um, and from what they've discussed on on other podcasts such as Dragon Talk. But from from what I gather, it unlike because it's not technically a you know a a, a D and D multiverse kind of a setting. Originally, it wasn't a. Of course, it wasn't conceived that way 
and right and as a essentially a a they call it a plain sized city but i think in the story it's more of a planet sized city yeah, it's it's difficult to say exactly how planes work in magic because sometimes they seem definitely bounded, and sometimes it seems they go on indefinitely. So maybe the ones that go on indefinitely are like those um, puzzles in the original Legend of Zelda, where you had to do it in a certain order, otherwise you just keep going forever. In the same room, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it's like the movie Pleasantville, like if you go past Maple Street far enough, you'll just get to Maple Street again. <laughs> well, it's um I can I can see a lot of story potential from from this world as a from from both a DM's perspective and a player's perspective. Um, you've got various factions. What is it? The ten guilds, or ten, are there ten for all the two color combinations possible in Magic? Okay, ten representing one of each. The okay, sorry, took me a second. My brain went that yeah, there are ten guilds per color combination. Yeah. Ten guilds that are all bound in this basically magical agreement that holds the world together called the Guild Pact. What what probably makes this better than a lot of other magic worlds for uh for a D and D world is it it has a lot more organization and although a lot of the worlds in Magic have more exposure. This one is probably probably had the most definitive lore already down on it, like in terms of what you know about it from the cards alone. So they they put a lot, I guess, more effort into the card text? Card text, and also because you had... Ten different factions. A lot of times, you would you would even get a different feel for the different guilds because they would all, for example, have a version of the same card. Like mm-hmm. in the original three Ravnica ones, every single um, every single faction had an artifact card that was their signet ring. Mm-hmm. And then each of them had exactly one legendary creature that was sort of the secondary fighter and then had their leader. So mm-hmm. it, it was very methodically designed in a way a lot of other sects aren't in terms of faction and balance. Okay. Well, um, yeah, the... The various guilds do have very, I mean, they're, they're well thought out and they each have their own place in the world. And I can see 
I, I can see, you know, the conflicts between them and how each one would try to push its ideology as the best. Yeah. What's also nice about the guilds, we're not going to go into one by one or anything, but each of them also has a contacts, um, contacts creation section where you tie yourself not only into your own guild with your contacts, but, your, but other guilds as well, with the exception of the Demir, which is one of your contacts is taking from whatever guild you're pretending to be a member of. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, each guild also has signature spells. It's some of the most in-depth backgrounds I've seen. Yeah, I did enjoy looking over through looking over that. There's a lot more that I've I've just kind of skimmed over. Um, but they there it's very for for a source. I mean, understandably, it's it's a source book, but. Even then, yeah. it's very it's very lore rich. Yeah. Although I can I can see that with essentially a new converting it to a new world for D and D requires a lot more. Um, it even though it has a lot of yeah. background in magic, there's not like take the realms. There's so much lore you can pull out from the realms and things like that that. It's, you know, you, even if you're not sure, there's all, probably something somewhere already that you could get information for from the lore if you wanted wanted to not make it up yourself. Yeah. It's very lore-heavy. And I also like another thing they did to help you with the guilds. They actually took all the subclasses from the Player's Handbook and Xanathar's, though not Sword Coast Adventures Guide, and uh, and actually said, you know, if you're this kind of subclass, you probably fit most effectively into, you know, by flavor, into this guild. Mm -hmm. And what's hilarious is, I'm, I'm trying to find that page, and I was just—I had just gotten to it a little bit earlier, and I have no idea where on on exactly what page it, it goes into. I—I I, I mean, I, I agree. That's that's really good. That helps. Um, that would that really helps getting getting the right flavor. Um. Yeah. You have anything to weigh in on, Seth? <clears throat> um. I was actually I was trying to find the what Kevin was talking about the uh, list of how to fit other races into guilds. Um. I mean, it's an incredibly interesting setting. Um, I have very little, uh, bordering on no, uh, no, uh, experience with magic, but all of it just, it, it's, it's got the feel of something different, like something completely different while still feeling familiar, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get it. 
I mean, it's D&D, but because of the world and the background, it's very it's a very different world from, say, the realms or points of light where we tend to play. Right. I think. I think because of that, it's like like Seth said. There, there's a different feel to it, and that. I think it gives you a little bit of both. Um, the you you can you get kind of like the background and the lore of of the realms, but when you start digging in, there's still a lot of unexplored space to to go into. Yeah, it's you know the size of a plane and it's a full city, but there's still all these huge nooks and crannies you can you could go into as a as a party yeah. to find anything that are for the most part unexplored well and also with the guilds i personally find that uh it adds a lot of for lack of a better term political intrigue and all this all, all the different uh making deals and bartering agreements things that occasionally aren't the main process of a normal D&D world but it's part of this world. It's something that has to be there in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That does kind of re- remind me of, of Eberron as well, even though there was no, you know, the the great, I guess, war or whatever was, what, 10,000 years ago or more when the Guild, Back was, Guild Pact was signed. Um, there's still a cloak and dagger segment to it. You know, you're not, there's no real, yeah. you can't really have any overt war going on. Yeah, kind of like in 4th edition D&D Eberron book, it said, the, the last war is over, ellipsis, sort of. <laughs> and I, I do like they've, they've introduced a lot of the um, card races into, into uh, as playable races. Yeah, and for those of you who have the uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters, uh, just letting you know, Bayashino are said to be exactly the same thing as Lizard Folk. Hooray. Well, good news for us. That means we have our favorite cannon fodder if we play in, if we play in Ravnica. So we're serving genocide again? Yeah. Like I, hey, like come I, on! One of the one of them is a tribe of Ayashino who ambush people. We we're doing a favor. <laughs> that are part of the cool clans. Which reminds me, I need to have you guys show up to a swamp so so there are lizard folk there in my game. <laughs> um, yeah, they've. I I didn't get a good. I know they've they've they introduced the centaur. Um. Yeah. They they added the goblin, but I didn't take a close. I didn't do a comparison. Zach, do you know if if they made any changes to the goblin between this and Volos? Uh, the the me- mechanically they're the same, but their culture is different in uh in Ravnica as is their alignment. Like these goblins are. 
almost universally of chaotic alignment. Uh, but other than that, they're very similar. Okay. All right. I um, just wanted to... I, the centaur I, is different than uh, the monster centaur from the monster manual. It's one, it's medium, and two, it's fey rather than monstrosity. What's interesting about that also is it's the first playable creature that's not a humanoid. Makes it difficult going upstairs as well. I'm sure there are a lot of dexterity checks on that. I mean, I can't speak specifically for horses, but I've raised cattle and sheep my whole life, and they handle stairs just fine. I think that's a myth. <laughs> um. All right, yeah. I like them. I, I like one of their downsides where it's actually really, really hard for them to climb. <laughs> I mean, it would have to be really, really hard for them to climb, because, I mean... They can't possibly get all four legs onto, a, say, a tree. I mean, they're just dragging half their body of dead weight up it. Yeah. Um, yeah, they... <laughs> well, we've got the horse people there, and next, and then we also have Minotaur as a playable race. Uh... Yeah. This was played around with uh, first in the Nautical Adventures uh, Unearthed Arcana, and then where they were basically made as the Crinian Minotaurs. And then they were again revised in the Greco-Roman races Unearthed Arcana, and then we got these. Um, these are very different from the Minotaurs of of uh of the monster manual they're not demonic they're smaller they actually tend towards lawful alignment which actually puts them more in line with the minotaur playable race of fourth edition hmm. and we also then have the vedalkin it sounds uh, like something they scream in street fighter vedalkin <laughs> They also scream, sure you can! <laughs> right, that too. Um, this one, very new to me. I Even reading over it, I'm still not sure their, their place. They're kind of the Vulcans of of Magic the Gathering worlds that they're part of. And they're semi-aquatic, but they're kind of Vulcans. Is this one of those they just change just enough not to get sued? Mm, no, I think their appearance is pretty um, unique, but in terms of personality, they're very uh, they're very uh, focused on logic and methodical study and not really they they have emotions but they basically don't don't let them show so they try to approach everything with cold logic mm -hmm. 
And uh, and maybe they're like the Vulcans, except Vedalkin don't have ears. <laughs> I can't imagine that art. Maybe meeting. that was their uh, their compromise with NBC. The NBC um, lawyers came in with some knives and <laughs> snipped the ears. Yeah, rounded them off. It. Walk into a magic art meeting and they're like, "Did you just draw Spock?" Well, yeah, no, no. Then they erase the ears. They're like, "And we're gonna make them blue. That, that'll <laughs> that'll fix it." <laughs> they 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 also introduced what I'm sure will eventually be Megan's favorite race, the Luxodon, <laughs> the elephant yeah. people. Yeah. What's weird is in Magic the Gathering, elephants are usually green in terms of what card type they are. Mm -hmm. But Luxodon are basically big white beaters in terms of like their role in the game. They're usually high, high damage, high toughness, white creatures that have a lot of the white uh, features like banding and first strike and stuff like that. I love all the stuff you can do with the trunk. <laughs> Never leave home without it. Well, they... I, I, I would have been... I would have thought it would be much much better if they had given the Luxodons like, extra dexterity. That would... I, I would have I just loved that. A super stealthy Luxodon rogue... Which I'm sure Megan will make. Yeah, stabby, stabby with a like, like just trunk out from a, behind the whole corner holding a dagger. I know you can't <laughs> technically do that, but we're gonna say that happens. I uh, I think my favorite thing about the Luxodon is you look at them like the the visual aspects and the uh, a lot of their stat blocks, and and they look like they're just purely going to be a a meat bag that's going to take a lot of punishment and dish it out, but when you read some of the background stuff, it makes it seem like they are generally leaning more towards the magical arts, for lack um, of a better term. In Magic the Gathering, I mean, you have a few beaters, like, you have some, you have a lot of, like, Luxodon knights and soldiers, but then you also have some that are, you have a lot that are, like, the creature type, like, uh, wizard and cleric as well, especially cleric. Which is hilarious in D and D because if you because clerics can be the in the background kind of assisting the party or it can be a beater up front. Yeah. So I, I would I would love to see a Luxodon cleric come barging through, out of my way. I'm a cleric, and then start wailing on some lizard folk. Yeah. <laughs> And finally, the Simic Hybrids. I know you were excited about these, Zach. I was. And if you look at their mechanics, it's... If you like to do, make weird, wonderful stuff, this is, this is the race for you. Because this is essentially a build-your-own race. <laughs> because it's like, here, take two features available here, and then you get another a few levels from now. You can do all sorts of weird stuff. You can be like, you can be a glider. You can spit acid. You can. 
just all sorts of... You can have these crazy claw hands. Yeah. What'd you say, Seth? You can have crazy claw hands. Yeah. Because that's can not you have, a terrifying image. Can you have crazy claw feet? <laughs> Go all Zoidberg. Suddenly you're standing on your hands, clipping with your feet claws. That's probably the most unique uh, one, and I think it's one of the newer ones in terms of design because they didn't have those uh, in the first block of Ravnica. I mean, they had some creatures that were had the creature-type mutant, but they didn't really have the sort of guardian, uh, guardian simic hybrids. In... Uh, in the first Ravnica block. I know because I collected that one extensively. But Ravnica's come out like two more times since then. Um, uh, with, all, with all the new playable characters, it's... No wonder they, they even added new subclasses. The Order Domain Cleric and the Circle of Spores Druid. Um, Seth, since you're playing a circle of spores druid let's let's start with that one um i i find the circle of spores druid to be rather interesting um it's not like a traditional druid like i personally and i know this is the opposite of most people that play a druid i'm not all that interested in beast shapes and that sort of nonsense i uh I wanted to be a druid that was kind of tough and more of a front-end fighter, which isn't generally what a druid is. But the Circle of Spores gives you an opportunity to almost become like, for lack of a better term, the Toxic Avenger. I mean, <laughs> if, when you start getting close to people, they start taking damage whether they want to or whether they're fighting you or not. <laughs> um, and you, you can use your... Uh, you can... Uh, Oh, what's that feature called? Bonus action or something. Uh, I think it's bonus yeah, you, can, you, you can use your bonus actions to uh, move your cloud of spores eventually, and that that's, seems like a fantastic feature. Um, being able to use uh, basically uh, your symbiotic entity as uh, your wild shape, and you can basically become even more toxic to the touch. That's another interesting subplot of these druids. Yeah, it was largely added to this to go with the Golgari, who are not your average druids. <laughs> I mean, you normally think of druids, you know, living out in the woods or something, or or, or or even in Ravnica, maybe like the park, or, you know, something. <laughs> <laughs> like the Selesnia live in the city tree, and then they live in like parks and stuff around the city. No... The Golgari, even though they're a druidic group for the most part, they live in, like, the sewers. Right, because what's a more natural circumstance than the sewer? This feels like, what was that, second edition, the Urban Druid? That's just <laughs> another name for a fighter. <laughs> and the... I didn't get a good look at the Order Domain Cleric. It seems... Should be on more on the evil scale. 
Uh, it's not something you would generally... Ex- it, it would be hard to reconcile to a good aligned character. Um, what it largely is, is in terms of mechanics, it's a lot of... It's, it's very enchantment heavy. Uh-huh. Enchantments and charms, you can do things like charm like an entire crowd of people. Mm-hmm. In this world, it's mostly meant for like the priests of the Orshov Syndicate, which is sort of a cross between church, uh, bank, and organized crime. Mm-hmm. Just and, like in the real world. <laughs> and then you have, uh, and then you have a little bit like for emergency situations and sort of lawful neutral groups like the Azorius Senate. But it's a lot about group enchantments, making your enchantments harder to do, avoid or shake off, that sort of thing. And what I do like about the order domain in it, and they do this in other books too, even if they're campaign specific, they often tell you what gods in common, um, in common, in common D and D worlds you would use a cleric of this domain, like what gods it applies to. Like, usually they give you Greek, Norse, uh, Greek, Norse, Greyhawk, uh, Eberron, and Forgotten Realms deities, and they do that uh, in with the Order domain, too. Hmm. I, I would the, say that... What? what? Uh, sorry. Um, just glancing over the Order domain... They seem to have a very high opinion of themselves. <laughs> I would I would think if Varus were to multi class, he might he might go order domain. But you see, if, maybe <laughs> you're right. That high an opinion of himself. Okay. Um, now, some of the problems you might have with Ravnica is. Integrating, integrating Ravnica um, monsters into your own campaign, and integrating monster manual monsters into the campaign. Although I think, from a mechanics point of view, it's not that not that difficult the the challenge ratings and everything should be same across yeah everything but i think it's i think the the issue comes into if you're doing a very story heavy game yeah luckily the uh the book has tables to show you what monsters are appropriate for which groups and what monsters what monsters you know, also, like, there's, I think one thing they say, you need to use, like, a saber-toothed tiger, but they describe, well, it's basically a green big cat with six eyes. Like, down the length of its body. Just use saber-toothed tiger. Well, that's, I mean, that's good. That that helps there, and also... And then they have tables, like, if you want to do a Golgari encounter, they say... Like from Lord and Canaan's Tome of Foes, the corpse flower is an appropriate challenge. 
is an appropriate monster to associate with them. That seems the uh, designers did do a good job of thinking of just about everything. Um, however, any thoughts of using Ravnica monsters outside? Uh, well, there's a couple that fit really well. Like, this book has Soldier. Not, not anything special, just Soldier as a unit. And this is the first time that's come up. Um, and then also some of the, uh, some of the monster types are a little harder to do. Like, say, things like the Simic Hybrids or the, uh, <clears throat> or some of the special units uh, for other guilds. But some other things might work well. Like, this book has many angels in it. And I think there's only, like, three angels in any other source books. Mm-hmm. And they, they vary widely in... Uh, in abilities so you can probably uh you can probably stick those in to fill the gaps if you want to have more angels in your campaign and then there's the monster horror uh which is a vague thing that they have with a couple of the the demir the golgari and i think even the uh orshav syndicate uh and those are vague enough that you could you could easily transport them to other things. There's there's some powerful undead uh, that would allow you to make specters or wraiths a more a, a more difficult foe. There's there's also uh, and then a couple races you could probably make a little more generic and have them work in things like you could uh, probably the crawl could be transported out of Ravnica relatively easily. Uh, and so, so you have some stuff like that. There's a couple new kinds of vampire that are more that are weaker than a lot of the ones in D&D, in mainstream D&D. So if you want to fight vampires at a lower level, but don't want to just fight vampire spawn. So there's a lot here you can, you can plunder. Sounds good. There, I, I do, I do like the, you know, cross, cross contamination between the, between the worlds to give things a bit more spice. Yeah. So while we do enjoy our lizard folk slaughters, there does come a time when we need something besides lizard folk. Yeah. And then there's a few new giants you could use too, which are, I mean, there's, there's lots of traditional monster types in here that aren't specifically unique to this world that you can draw from. What's your opinion, Seth? <clears throat> um, I usually don't dig too deeply into monsters and things like that, due to the fact that uh, I still yeah. want to, uh, to maintain my innocence, for lack of a better word. Um, it does seem like there's a lot of back and forth. There are some interesting monsters. I flipped through the uh, that the bestiary portion and the NPC portion yesterday. Um 
there's a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, some of it's similar, but a lot of it was different than anything that I had seen before. So uh, yeah. I think there's a lot that you could work with. Okay, well, let's uh, wrap it up with this. If you had to choose, what would be your favorite guild? Um, for me, I think it would probably be the Is It League. Um, they seem... They seem like they have the potential to be the most, gosh, what's the word, insane. Um, and uh, I, I think you could have a lot of fun playing an Izzet character. Um, all the quirky inventions and things like that. I mean, obviously there's some more seriousness to them than that. Uh, but the things that they build, could, some... Most of them are practical, but there are just some things that are straight out of sci-fi that seem like they would be insanity, and that can introduce a lot of fun. Yeah, I played Magic during Ravnica coming out and stuff, and in the card game, my favorite group was the Golgari. And they're still up there, but I mean, because I wasn't very good with Blue, I didn't Demir very much. But in terms of all the intrigue, going on with the Demir and all the sort of lying and deception you would have to do to play a Demir character, especially in a mixed party, um, I'd say the Demir would be the most fun to play. How's Demir? Uh, this is... This is difficult for, for me. Um, because going through, I can see great fun being had with with any of the guilds um and that's that's so difficult because i can look i can see the guilds and and i can see a fun character to be had no matter where but i think i'm gonna have to go with zach on this one and say my favorite will probably be house demir more so for the for the intrigue portion of them. <laughs> um, and I, I I really do think that any of them would would be great for for a for for just a player player character to involve something around it they're all fantastic on that but yeah i'm gonna have to go with house demir just uh just for the intrigue portion uh i will have to say just just going on any of these would be great i'd have to say probably my second favorite might actually be the boros legion and they're kind of as like even mechanically in magic and in this world they're kind of as far from the demir as you can possibly be I still think it'd be really fun to be one of them too. I uh, I also wanted to mention uh, the Orzov Syndicate. I, I know this is going to shock you guys, but I like to play morally ambiguous comp confidence men. <laughs> so I feel like that's kind of the uh, the role that you could take on there, and that's that seems exciting. Yeah. Well, I think that that about wraps it up for tonight. I think we did a. I think overall, it. Ravnica would be a great place to have a have a have a game. Um, 
I think, I think Ravnica it, could be a great place to hang out. Just go hang out there. That'd be fun. J- just go hang out. Pick out right. a... Stay <laughs> a cafe with the, like, person wearing... Like, one person comes up with all this tech stuff from the Is It League, and then you're sitting across the table from a Golgari person wearing a live centipede as a necklace. I'd just spend my whole time there. I'd, I'd find a uh, Luxodon and just follow him behind close enough that he can never turn around and see me. Just so that <laughs> I... Oh, Well, I, I think that about wraps it up. I'd like to thank you guys for joining us, and we'll uh, see you all later on the next Companions of the Perception Check. Have a good night. I'd like to thank all of our guests, as well as David Murray, for the generous use of his song, Square Wave Delight. You may find him at his YouTube channel, The 8-Bit Guy. I would also like to thank our friendly podcasts that have supported us, Story of Arc. You may find them at storyofarc.com, as well as Let's Go to the Ring. You may find both in the show notes below. 